You've heard it all your life, and not just from your mother, although you probably did hear it from your mother. You have such a great voice. Did you ever think of doing voiceover? Let's demystify this fun, flexible industry here on the Such A Voice podcast with Justine Reese. I'm Justine, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes or so. We will talk to people that have sat in your shoes and then became successful in the voiceover industry. We'll talk to people who hire voiceover talent. We'll talk about recording, sound, auditioning, casting. We're going to share some stories. We're going to share some secrets. And then, who knows, you may be my next guest. Hello, everybody. This is Justine Reese with the Such a Voice podcast, and I have a really exciting guest today, Steve Silverman. We're going to talk about promos today and get some perspective from somebody who's worked on the other side. So, Steve Silverman, I want to talk to you about your entrance into this industry as a writer and then how you transition into like promo and trailer and all that stuff. So give us like, in your own words, a brief history of how that happened. And, I, you know, we got to go back now 20 years or plus. So let's talk about it. Well, I moved to LA like a lot of people do. I lucked out because I actually had a job that paid me $0 at the soap opera General Hospital. Um, I started there as an intern. Yeah, it was a oh. college. Yeah, Wait, it was, it was a paid thing. internship for General Hospital? It was an unpaid one. It was a college credit okay. one. So it was college okay. time, getting some credits. And while I was there, I had one of those moments. I've talked about it on my show. Uh, one of the jobs I had to do at night was bring dinner to the producers. And one of the producers was the head producer, Wendy Rich. Okay. And so I brought her dinner on 730 every night, you know, walked dinner in, placed it down before her. It's been, you know, prepared. And as I'm leaving, she looks up at me and she goes, hey, what is your name again? And I turned around and I said, my name's Steve. She said to me, what do you do? And I like puff out my chest. I'm 22 years old. I think this is my opportunity, right? So I all bold. I go, yeah. I'm a writer. And she looks at me and she goes, awesome. What have you written? And I completely freeze because I haven't written anything. <laughs> and then she <laughs> says, Steve, go home and write. And it was the single best piece of advice. It was devastating. I'm not going to lie to anybody. You leave there going, oh my God, I blew it. I blew it. Flash forward almost 15 years later, I was on a plane. She was on the same plane. And I walked up to her on the plane and thanked her and reminded her. She had no memory of it. But it's one of those moments in you know, your life oh that you're having somebody else doesn't. But it was the thing that sort of set me off. So I started writing, submitting. Now, in your case, you, you owned something that hadn't... <laughs> But you were visioning your ownership right. of what you knew you were going to do. But I think that is something that, you know, actors struggle with for sure, really owning. And I tell people when they start doing voiceover too, it's like, what is it going to feel like in a year from now once you get coaching and training and you do all this stuff and you can say, when your friends say, hey, what are you doing? Or you, you meet people, oh, I'm a voice talent. Well, here's the thing. Your brain um, believes what you tell it. And right. that's part of it. It's, 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 first of all, it's projection. It's great. It's also like envisioning it, you know, and seeing it, getting your, your vision board and all those things that you can do. But your brain believes what you tell it. If you tell your brain that you're a big loser, then your whole body feels like a loser. But if you get up every day and say, I'm happy and I'm good at something, then your brain believes it and then it becomes truth. And that truth is, you know, where you go forward from. So I started um, submitting plays all over the place. I actually put up my own first play in 1993 called Mother's Day. I, I scraped together $9,000 and put up this play that so many people over the years have been like, oh, can I see it? I, I know because I have it on DVD and I'm like, no one is ever seeing it. No one ever is allowed. To. It's so bad. 
but I was, <laughs> I was 23. I had no, like, I thought I had like all this life reference, you know, I, I know everything, right? But anyway, what happened was, and this is where you and I met as I was working at Warner Brothers, I was temping at a job that became a full-time job in animation. I was assisting the vice president of technology and, you know, helping put all the avids in, putting all the sound equipment in, putting all the finishing equipment in, all that stuff. And real technical job that I really did not have a clue what I was doing. But I started writing plays and a friend of mine named Christian Lazarian comes up to me and she says, hey, there's this theater called Theater Geo. They're doing one acts. You should submit some of your plays because we always talked about writing. I mailed them in like three or four plays and they selected Eden 96, which more quirk and Cedric Dubelshane. Can you believe I remember those names? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, they did it. And um, it was pretty cool. It was really, really fun. I, that's where I got the Sly write up. That's where the LA Times called me Sly. And from that LA Times article of a one sentence, a Sly Steve Silverman's Eden 96 leads the night, blah, 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 whatever they said, right? I got a phone call from John Hardman from DreamWorks. He was an exec there and he brought me in. Wow. And he wound up hiring me to work on a Steven Spielberg animation show that never saw the light of day. But I worked on that show and it was crazy because I had gone from making $88 a day to making way more than $88 a day because it was, yeah. it was Writer's Guild. It got me in the Writer's Guild. How did you feel your experience as a writer at that point moving into an animated feature like what was that like what was that transition like well it was moving into it actually it was an animation animated series so i did have some experience an animated from, series, yeah, right? yeah i had done I had some experience of working in warner brothers feature animation right but i didn't i don't i didn't have anything really to draw from like i'd never been on a writer's team and we never went into the office for this dreamworks job we never sat down at a table we all just worked at home it was like it was a pandemic. It was perfect. And I fucking loved it. I never had to leave my house. <laughs> it prepared you for the pandemic. <laughs> and they had like they set up a little FedEx box outside my house, outside my apartment. And like I'd put pages in a oh, FedEx God. thing and then they, I'd get notes back. And I think I wrote two sketches that were greenlit to be animated. But the show got canceled before it ever aired because hilariously, it was supposed to go on Fox, which is funny because I wound up at Fox uh, Saturday morning. But they decided to go with something called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh, yeah, that old thing. Yeah, that little nothing. So <laughs> Steven Spielberg <laughs> that was show. Yeah, Steven Spielberg was told, you know, hit the brick, Spielberg. We're going with Mighty Morphin people. Did you at that point were in on any of the auditions for the voice talent? I was not. Not at that point. What happened okay. was, and a lot of people can experience this with me. I wound up. Broker than broke. I, I hate saying broke. I because I always tell people you're not broke. You still function. <laughs> you can still move. And it's also I think that's another thing we tell ourselves a lot of times, Steve. And I think you can relate to this that when it's a harder time or whatever, just in the same way you said I'm a writer, we can tell ourselves I have no money and I can't do anything and I can't invest in myself. And that is a lie we tell ourselves too that we will start believing. Your brain will believe that too. Um, that's a hundred percent. Correct. And I think you have yeah. to stay with your vision and you have to um, celebrate your little goals and just know that you're on a journey. I had a cousin who came to LA one time to visit me and she had this one woman show she had done in Ohio. She told me, oh, if I could just get my show up for one weekend, just one weekend in Los Angeles, then I would be done. I'd know I had made it if I could just get my show up for one weekend in LA. And I said, that's, that's not an artist because we're never done. We're never like, oh, I did that thing and I'm done. We're always on to the next three things or how can I make this better? How can I reimagine it? 
So I sort of fell into this place and I needed a job and I had been uh, volunteering for the American Cancer Society and they wound up hiring me and I was an events coordinator, which I freaking loved. I got to put in all these great events and just do the fun part. Of That's the job. I did a little bit of that at one time too. That is super fun. It's so fun. And then out of nowhere, one of my plays again was up at our old place, Theater Geo. I got a phone call from somebody, another one of my one X went up and some rando person called me and said, hi, I'm calling on behalf of David Zachariah at the WB network and he'd like to have a meeting with you. And I was like, cool. And so I, t- I took a day off of work. I wore a suit. Oh my God. He showed up like in a t-shirt and like jeans. I'm in a fucking suit. That's up. But I, yeah, you know what? I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> I tried, but I look like Clark Kent. I sat down to lunch with him and he just started telling me about this on-air promotion gig and he read my script and it was an 11-page script and he really liked it. And he basically, like we're sitting at a restaurant in Burbank, we order food, they haven't even put the salads down and he's like, yeah, so I'd like to bring you on as a writer-producer freelance and um, we'll go ahead and uh, book you for about probably like three months to start and then we'll pick you up three months at a time. How does that sound? And I just went, "Uh, that sounds good. And then he told me how much money it was, which was, again, way more than I was making at the American Cancer Society. And I was like, okay, great. Right. And then, you had some concept that it was going to be a certain number because you'd been right. through this before. Right. And I mean, not as good you as- You didn't like works. sit in your salad or anything? Or- <laughs> no. So they put the salad down and then we're <laughs> eating salad and we're just sort of just talking. And I'm like, and I go, David, what is it I'm going to be doing? And he started laughing really hard. And he said, you're going to be working an on-air promo. We make all the trailers and the TV, you know, the promos you see for all the TV shows that are on um, the WB network. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, I have, he came over from NBC. He was given a staff. There were like eight or nine of them. They were all solid, excellent producers. And he said, but you're a writer. I can teach you how to produce. I can't teach you how to write. I don't have solid writers. I need a writer. And so... I didn't really quite know what the hell it was that I was doing. All I know is that I showed up for my first day. I'm not kidding. It just happened to be a Thursday. And I was informed, oh, you have a four-year love. It was old Holly Robinson Pete show. You have a four-year love promo, 15-second next promo, and it airs tonight. We have to have it from you by 3 p.m. And it was like... Meaning you had to write it? Okay, I had to write it, produce it, get it approved, finish it. Oh, my God. And I've never done it before in my life. I have never. And then the, the, my friend who worked there, a woman named Michelle, she was out sick that day. So I didn't even have her to turn to. I must have done 15 or 16 versions. I had no clue. I had a great editor. He was like, I'll help you, man. I'll help you. Just write it. I'll make it happen. And I'm like, write what? Like, I don't even know. I've never done. Look, what are you people talking about? So I'm going to get fired. I'm going to fight. I wound up getting it on the air. And it was just the craziest day I've ever been part of. It was. But I think this is such a great story because it so speaks to how we think we have to be so prepared and do something perfectly. And I think it's the opposite. It's the potential that you would be great at this and you didn't even know that you could be great at this. And then you just had to do it. And it must have been something that he knew that you could just turn it out. And you did. Well, it's funny because I worked there for probably like two months and my one of my bosses said to me, you know, we hired you for three months 
and we don't know if we're going to pick you back up at the three-month mark. And I had left my full-time job at the American Cancer Society, and I was like, oh, crap. And then she said to me, we hired you because of that script you wrote that we saw at the theater. They went and saw it. They just happened to be at the theater, and my, my script was, you know, my, right. one of my plays was up. And this person said to me, do that. And so I went wild. I just went in. I was working with this editor named Gordon. I said, Gordon, throw out everything we're doing. This is what we're doing. And I showed him and he goes, oh, that's cool. I made a whole non sequitur promo. I made it all horror movie style. We put horror movie music in. <laughs> I did a horror read. And it was hilarious because quite frankly, you know, look, we all know this. A lot of these sitcoms aren't that funny on network television. And you like search, yeah. you search for a joke that you can promote. I didn't have anything to work with. So I made this very out of the box, different thing. And I turned it in and I worked the night shift. So I would go in at five and be done by about midnight. We had VHS back in the day. So you put it in the box, then you slid in your script, right? And you left it on your boss's desk. And by the time I got in at 4.30 the next day, I had notes. Well, the next day, this woman left a, a note on my desk saying, come see me when you get in. And I was like, oh shit. Like I went too far. Well, I walked into her office and she was finishing up a call or whatever. And she got up and walked over and she said, can I hug you? And I said, yes. And she hugged me. And then she goes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want. And after that, I just started doing everything, the most insane ideas I could come up with. That's what I did. And basically, that's been my career. Right. Go with the most insane thing. So let's get back to now the whole on-air promo and that all the other places that you worked in on-air promo and ad agencies. And how did all that happen? How did you stay in that space? And when did you start working with voice talent? And I want to hear, you know, just just some overall thoughts about that. And then, of course, what it is that grabs you and why you have mentioned to me that you like working with voice actors and you had some specific things. So there's like seven questions I just asked you. Oh my God, we're, we're so alike. I do this on my podcast all the time. And I always apologize. I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry. We had, you know, a finishing room, audio room, obviously. And there was a woman named Joyce who used to run it when, when I was in there. And I would work with voice talent. We had to be at all our, back in the day, we had to be at all our recording sessions. And so I learned a yes, lot really good. quickly. So I got to work with Hal Douglas. I got to work with Reno Romano. I got to work with Jonathan Cook. You know, with certain people like Reno Romano and Jonathan Cook, these were younger talent and and they were totally open to anything. So you could say, hey, can you turn that phrase right there? Can we go wild? Do you mind? Like, can we just run it and we do it a few times? And usually those gentlemen would be physically in the building, in the booth. I'm looking right at you. Hal Douglas, may he rest in peace. Oh, Hal Douglas. Hal Douglas was an older gentleman. He was the voice of A&E. He is, you know, everyone knows this yeah. guy's voice. And hilariously with Hal, he was such a character. Um, he was so funny. Some days he'd just go like, at one point I was working on Charmed and there was one day where he's like, yeah, I don't want to do Charmed today. Let's do this another day. And Joyce is like, oh, okay, no problem. And we could walk over and like mute to talk to Joyce. And I'd walk over and hit the mute yeah. button and I'd be like, he has to do it. It ships tonight. So she laughs and all the time she goes, oh, don't worry. I got you. I got you. She goes, I got my plan. And she was the best and she still is the best. Um, because what she would do at the very end is she'd just be like, oh, Hal, honey, would you mind? Oh, I just looked at the schedule. You, my bad. Circle back a little bit and go back to that charm thing. I mean, do you mind making millions yeah. of dollars? The really funny story I can tell you about Hal, Hal used to take a train like he was Biden and he would take a train. I don't remember where he'd go, but he would go up the East Coast, like New Hampshire or Maine, and he would ISDN from the train. 
and then he'd go right. through a tunnel. Oh, wow. Yeah, but no, he'd go through a freaking tunnel. You know what I mean? And we just lose him. And then we'd be like, wait 20 <laughs> minutes. And he'd call back in and be like, hey, everybody. And they're like, you know what train where you're like, you know, train noises, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, we heard those every now and then. We'd be like, hey, could you do that? And yes. only, you know, only back in those days could you, could he get away with that? Nobody would put up with that now, don't you think? I don't think so. I mean, he was a legend and, and like, it was yes, funny. Of that course. We, right. it, we were this young network. We were the WB and back. In fact, our yeah. slogan for a while was the night is young. To have this older grandpa gentleman voice, classic voice selling Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, promo has changed so much. Let's talk about that a little bit. Just the fact that there, well, I think there's less of it. But maybe correct me if I'm wrong. That's kind of been my impression just because we don't have the tension span and people are streaming so much. But so promos are more like, would you see more promos like on Spotify for Hulu shows or as opposed to on network television? I mean, I know, of course, you know, sports and everything else is still on network. But how has it changed? Well, the biggest change, I think, especially in the voiceover world, and this is a little tip to everybody out there, is like the CW is a great example if you watch the CW, you rarely hear a voiceover person. It's all graphics and then just music at the end, right? So a lot of people ask, well, why is that? Was that an artistic choice? Usually that's a financial choice because they'll look at the budget and go, oh, shit, we're over budget. Where can we cut? And the first place they can cut that's an easy cut is just don't put any voiceover in it this week or for a while. So that's a thing. But I think it's interesting because for instance, like I just did this Hulu show, um, which actually launched mm -hmm. first on YouTube. Oh my God, I blocked it out because it was such an experience. That's my nice way. We did, I mean, you talk about promo, we did 36 pieces of promo for the first. So the first two episodes launched Sunday, Monday. Again, I'm speaking out of turn here, but someone decided that they should launch it Sunday, Monday of Memorial Day weekend, which I don't know. I guess there was logic behind that. But like we used to launch things at Fox like on January 2nd and we'd all beg them. No, 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 no. Like, let's wait another week. But we did 36 pieces of content promo. Now we did a 30 second trailer and a 15 second cut down. But then we did every version of that that you would see on, you know, because your specs change if you're it's it's one to one four to nine by 16, 16 by nine. So you had all this going on, but then we made all this other content that was the kind of TikTok-y content. I kept getting that note. That's like a new thing now. It's like, and you get a show and they're like, turn it into a TikTok. And you're like, how? Can you make that? it a tiki talk? Can you tiki talk that? Uh, I, don't I think that's going to be a new phrase. Can you tiki talk that? It's like an adjective or direction. Um, were you working with the same talent and how long did it take to create 36 pieces of, of promo content? Was that the same person and did you knock it out in a few days or was this over weeks how did that go yeah uh, it was an experience again that's my nice way of saying things i would love for them to hire me <laughs> but again. that's why i'm asking i think people don't know you know <laughs> i don't think people realize how much work it is what happened with this job is i was hired to oversee the weekly trailer and then the cut down so basically i was hired to oversee a 30 second spot and a 15 second cut down and i said oh yeah that's fine and okay. i said well i have other you know jobs i'm doing on my own you know, business. So whatever. But it turned into, well, here's 18 other things we need today. And it was like, whoa, wait, what? And they wanted uh, character pieces, for instance. So you had 10, I think 10 or 12 contestants on the show, and they wanted each one of them to have their own character piece, which is where I just make something like, Justine, you're on the show. So I find something about you, like maybe 
you're having an emotional moment or you're having whatever it is moment or right. how funny something you do or, you know, it's promo. Look for someone crying and add a siren. Right. That's promo 101. But for Faith. the moment, she just found out she's pregnant. <laughs> exactly. And fades to black and add a siren. It's great. <laughs> it's it's just interesting. So no, it, it really came down to us having to work with what we had. And so what was interesting is we were getting notes from the production and from the network saying, oh, it'd be great if you did this. And it was like, it'd be great if Justine, I used this example a long time ago, Justine wrote in on a purple monkey and she balanced um, some plates and spun them. Oh, and there's a pink giraffe also. Okay, see, none of that happened. <laughs> right. Even that speaks to how ridiculous sometimes direction on commercials. I We talk about this in some of my master classes where you get a line of dialogue like A&W root beer makes me think of home. And then you'll get two paragraphs about how they want that delivery. Yeah. We want it nostalgic, but we also want it like wistful. Conversational. Like Make sure it's just conversational. College, but at right. the same time, he's just going away. I mean, it gets ridiculous, right? Totally. And I think that's what's interesting about it. But that's the thing is like on my side of things, I just have to bend with it. And my job as a producer, I have to put my foot down because I'm looking at the clock and I know I only have so much time and I know when something's due and I know when they want it. And I know 11 more people need to see it. And there were a few times in my entire career in the last 25 years of doing this where I've had to say, um, that can't happen. We don't have enough time. That can't happen. Like whatever it is, like, and sometimes it comes down to the voiceover of like, we need to read this person. When does this spot ship? Oh, at four o'clock and it's one fifteen right now. You need to approve it because we need to read it, finish it and ship it in three hours. Can it be done? Of course it can, but there's a thousand other right. things that have to be done. That's the nature of things that have changed so much too. Like when I used to work in casting with voiceover and we had to put things on CD or DAT tape, ship them off in FedEx, just like you did, you know, when you were totally. at that first job, we didn't have email even. So things are done much faster now, obviously, but there's more work. But in this particular case, did these 36 promos have, did they all have voiceover? Did only some of them have voiceover? Was it the same talent? It was a mix because some of the people on the other side making decisions wanted voiceover and some of them did not. There was a whole argument going back on and forth on it's really interesting in promo, like the new rule of promo is don't open with a big wide shot. And that's come across a while ago because people immediately go, oh, it's a promo and turn the channel, right? Or they stop watching or they fast forward, right? They tell us now, start with close up of somebody saying something. Have you seen the trailers now where they do like five really quick shots and it goes, and then the, the thing will come and go, you know, Black Adam. And then the trailer starts. That's yeah, they another, try and grab you. They try to grab yes, you. Yeah, exactly. So that's like, that's another right. just like artistic change that's happened. But the biggest change that I was proud to be part of is uh, I've always been somebody who's pushed female voiceover talent. And sometimes it's bit me in the ass because sometimes I write something. I'm a guy and I'll write it. I wrote one time for ABC Family. It was a really right. simple promo and it was, it was for uh, Baby Daddy. And this character comes in, this woman comes into the men's showers and she goes, oh my God. And she turns around and I froze it. That's all I did. And then I had me say, oh, if I had a dime for every time I've walked into a guy's shower and well, uh, what were you just, okay, never mind that thought. Baby daddy, this Tuesday, that's what I literally did. 
And I kind of set it up like that. But hilariously, Vanessa Marshall was the voiceover person. I didn't know that going in because I was just sending them stuff. And then they sent me and said, can you write it a little sexier or not sexy? And we, we, Vanessa and I worked on it like, well, wh- what angle do you go? Because I wrote this for a guy commenting on, you know, how awkward it is uh, to see other right. men naked. But it's like, oh, a woman coming in. Well, does she want to see him naked? Or is she even like, oh, my God. Like, right. you know, it's a whole different thing. Right. Let's talk about from your end when you've had because I know this has happened to me that I've booked jobs just because of some wacky risk I took, a little character voice I threw in, a laugh I did. New voice actors in particular are tentative to add things like verbal cues. Of course, I am not talking about changing copy. And I think in promo more than ever, type of voiceover, you really have to stick to the script. For comedies, what do you think about adding verbal cues? What grabs you as a when you're casting something and you hear something, what what sorts of things have grabbed you? Can you like talk to that a little bit? Well, just like when I'm you know auditioning, which you just came in for recently, when I'm doing a play, I'm I auditioning did. actors and actresses. I like to just say actors. I always say the same thing: is like if you're gonna submit something, don't just submit one go at it. Submit two or yeah. three goes at it, and make sure that it's not the same thing. You got to, because yeah. I there's so many times when I get somebody, I'm like, oh, you know, he or she is good. And then I listen to the second one. I'm like, he or she just repeated the second one. And then third one, same thing. And sometimes someone will send me a note, like an agent or the, that person from working with them directly sent submitting. And they'll say, oh, I gave you a dramatic read and a conversational read. And then I gave you a, a parental read, let's say. And I hear the same thing three times. And I go, you didn't. So it's almost worse to say that. And then you didn't show up and do it. I would exactly. rather just show you than tell you what my reads are. Yes. What do you think go, about that? I do think okay. that's a great thing. And yeah. I always say, go wild, do something unexpected. But again, look, I was directing Cloris Leachman. And I mean, it's fucking Cloris Leachman. She's got, she right. was <laughs> at the time, the most aw- Emmy awarded actor of all time, an Oscar winner. I walk this 85, 86-year-old woman onto a giant white site. We have three cameras that are rolling and they're, they're, they're moving past each other. It's really a crazy setup. She's looking directly into the lens. We have the, we have the teleprompter up you know, in reverse on the lens for her. We get the right font size. And I go back to the little you know, digital domain or whatever you like to call it, where all the execs are sitting behind me watching this whole not, you know, thing go down. It's a big shoot. And I sit down, I put my headset in, and I said, okay, well, we can give it a go whenever you like. And she says, Steve, can I ask you a question before we go? I go, sure. Now we're both, everyone can hear me because I'm over the sound system, okay, as the director. So she says, Steve, do I have to say exactly what's on this, the teleprompter? And I just say, okay, hold on, flying in. And I pull off my mic so no one can hear me. And I run up to the white psychic. Right. If you've never been on this before, anyone listening, you kick your shoes off because you don't want to make any footy prints. Sometimes they make you wear these little... um. It's almost like a shower cap for your feet. Take my shoes off and I have socks on and I run up to her and all I say into her and I literally like I put my hand over the mic on her chest so no one can hear us. And I lean into Cloris Leachman and I just say in the quietest voice, if you give me exactly what's written on the teleprompter, then I will have what I need and I won't get fired. But if you give me exactly what I need, I won't say cut. Then you can say whatever the ever-loving fuck you want to say i said it nicer than that (laughs) and then she said you got it 
And I went back and Cloris Leachman delivers the whatever promo lines they were. And then she's like, whatever it was, Raising Hope Tuesday on Fox. And she's doing it direct to camera because she's being filmed and she's doing it, right? And then Cloris Leachman just starts riffing on Fox. Let me tell you about working at Fox. And oh my God. We are, and she's using every swear word. And she's talking about all the people she's had sex with at on the lot and all this stuff. Like, oh my God. She's joking, but does it with the straightest face. And she's just going off. We are doubled over, doubled over, doubled over. So I let her go, 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 go. And then I have the little mic. I go and cut. And the bell rings. And there is an explosion of laughter from everyone there. But I tell that story because what I would say is whatever the copy is, however much you like the copy, however much you don't like the copy, just remember the copy probably went through 40 people. It was probably way better when the first guy wrote it. Yes, so glad you're saying it. Mm -hmm. And then a thousand people had to weigh in with that. Well, maybe that instead of this. And oh, should we say that? Blah, 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 whatever. Do what's on the page, but make sure you are in it and act it you got to act it that's the thing that's great right. about a great voiceover person is they're act they're acti they're acting the script out yep you're playing a part it's not our job to like the copy it's our no. job to bring the copy to life and find ways of bringing emotional tone uh whatever it is and every piece of copy can be fun in that way I don't care if it's a train. I mean, obviously, training videos are not as fun as doing an animated series. But the bread and butter of voiceover these days could be a myriad of things, a small business, uh, a training video, uh, an airport announcement. So do bring what you can, you know, to the party and know the genre. But I agree with you 100 percent that it is those things that we do as voice talent that at least that might get you the callback. It might not even be the right thing for the spot. But they know if you do something risky that you are good enough to take direction. And then he could say, you know, we love that crazy grandpa voice you did, but it's not going to work. But, uh, you know, try something else instead. If you're doing two takes, give me something different. Switch up the pace, switch up the emotional tone. uh, Try something risky. And I love that you said that. And there you have it. That was part one of Justine's interview with Steve Silverman. Part two will be up soon, so make sure you tune in for that. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.